I speak in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Many hold an understanding of God's role as the supreme architect, designing the most complex structures on this planet and elsewhere out into the universe. Through the BBC's Planet Earth, we see created in nature what we cannot hope to ever replicate ourselves. But we should also recognize that for centuries, if not millennia, Man, too, has had the ingenuity and organizing skill to build remarkable structures. Yet the name of these human architects is so often lost in history. And in stark comparison, we have countless stories of rulers and military leaders whose names are etched into history, many of which left only a legacy of destruction. Architects and builders are not generally those who we find commemorated in statues around our city. Yet our capital, and indeed our nation, is rendered most remarkable and unique by the quality and abundance of our rich heritage of building. Even after the widespread damage of war, we have taken immense pains, as with this church and many others, to make good the destruction and restore buildings fully to their previous cherished state. And not just here in London. Those who visit Heaps later this year in the centenary commemoration of the Battle of Passchendaele will see a town once reduced totally to rubble in the Great War, fully restored architecturally. And we could say the same for Dresden and many other places. So the quality of architecture plainly matters to us. And if we asked people outside in the street for the name of an architect, Yes, we might possibly get given the name of Sir Norman Foster, who designed the huge new Bloomberg building opposite. But it is more likely that it is the name of Sir Christopher Wren, who designed this church, that most people would come up with. Wren, a man who in truth was not trained as an architect at all, but clearly had great flair and considerable influence. Christopher Wren was a lot of things, a talented mathematician, an inveterate inventor, a skilled engineer, an astronomer, a member of parliament, clearly a man of great intelligence and intellectual prowess and influence, helping to establish the Royal Society. But his main claim to achieving fame may be that he was well-connected. His father was an ordained priest, indeed of St. George's Chapel, Windsor. The young Wren was brought up knowing members of the royal family. Mind you, connections to royalty were not always helpful at this time. Wren was born in 1632, heralding a very difficult and turbulent time in our country's history. By the time Christopher Wren was age 17, the country had been plunged into a devastating civil war, which saw the king, Charles I, overthrown, tried, and executed. It was a troubled time for everyone in the country where backing the losing side, having the wrong connections or loyalties could, without care, lead to imprisonment or death. Such a fate was to befall Christopher's uncle, Matthew Wren, Bishop of Ely. He was locked up for 18 years in the Tower of London. Indeed, while in the Tower, Matthew Wren vowed to devote a sum of money to some holy and pious employment, should he be released. To fulfill this vow, 
he chose to pay for a new chapel for Pembroke College and decided to have it built by his talented nephew, one of Christopher Wren's first buildings consecrated in 1665. The bleak period of Commonwealth under Oliver Cromwell in which the country was a republic had ended with the restoration of the monarchy in 1660, just five short years before the devastating outbreak of plague, the Black Death, and six years before the Great Fire completely destroyed most of medieval London. The return of the monarchy also brought changes, particularly to the church, which post-Reformation was taking a completely different direction to most of the churches elsewhere in Europe. With the Anglican Church now regarding itself as the more authentic form of Catholicism to that offered by Rome, the design of the 51 new parish churches required in the city after the Great Fire, as well as the rebuilding of St. Paul's Cathedral itself, would be largely determined by the legislation that had established the Church of England. So with the restoration of monarchy, the Church of England was now back under the king. In addition to the chapel at Pembroke College, Wren had also been involved in the groundbreaking design of the Sheldonian Museum in Oxford, built ingeniously with a roof covering a full 70-meter span. Wren had also become involved in 1665 and 1666 with plans to restore St. Paul's Cathedral, which was in a bad state of disrepair. With the unexpected destruction of the cathedral in the Great Fire, much assisted by the presence of scaffolding, all this work came to nothing. Still living in Oxford, Wren's initial contribution after the Great Fire was to suggest some fundamental redesign of the city, quickly producing a revised city plan with a new road layout. Had Wren been given a totally free hand to redesign the city of London, realigning and widening some of its main streets, we can be sure our city would have looked very different today. Wren, along with others like Sir John Evelyn, certainly had the initial grand vision to create a more classical city of straight boulevards and large open spaces to rival Paris. But after 1666, the city of London was in a hurry and land was not to be given up easily by those anxious to simply return as quickly as possible to doing business. The chance for a new grand plan was missed with some necessary road widening only later achieved in the wake of the Blitz. Only in 1669, with the necessity to replace St. Paul's and many of the city churches, the role of King Surveyor became of pivotal importance, and Wren, well known to the court, was appointed to the role. Wren was a pragmatist, now responsible for the reconstruction of many churches as well as St. Paul's. He did not seek to impose a one-size-fits-all approach. He sought to liaise closely with church wardens and sponsors. Each site presented a very different challenge. Some had remaining walls still standing, and in a dense city environment, most churches had become restricted on space and light, with progressive encroachment on graveyards and gardens. New churches were designed with Gothic or classical elements, or often a mix of the two. Exteriors were usually left plain with all concentration given to the inner space and the purpose it needed to serve. With the chaotic layout of London streets, it is significant that the walls of these new churches would often follow the old street alignment in preference to adopting a neater and squarer footprint. 
Wren was no respecter, I read, of right angles. Large, undivided spaces with a new goal, with pillars kept to the minimum. And a key factor before microphones and loudspeakers was the audibility of the preacher, with clear lines of sight given great consideration and priority. The priest needed to be both seen and heard. The pulpit, such as we have here, became the necessary focus of attention, dominating the space. And of course, whilst we still today ascribe St. Paul's and many of our city churches to Wren, perceiving him as a working architect, he should take credit as charting and controlling the broad direction of travel. In truth, with so much to build and design, he needed to impart to others what he wished to be achieved, providing a clear vision. He necessarily had much help with the detailed work. Of most significance, perhaps, were Robert Hooke, appointed as surveyor for the city, and Edward Woodroof, surveyor of Westminster Abbey. No doubt with the services of a very talented team of draftsmen and surveyors, equivalent to a modern architectural practice. They would later be joined by the younger talent of Nicholas Hawksmoor, William Dickinson and John Oliver. Perhaps the greatest common architectural expression insisted on by Wren was in the steeples and towers of the churches. With restrictions made to the general height of new building in the city after the Great Fire, these bell towers were built in a great variety of design as the visible and audible symbols of a strong Christian presence in the city. These numerous towers, along with the Dome of St. Paul's, would eventually come to dominate the new skyline. Alas, observationally, this is no longer the case today. When we think of Christopher Wren, it is probably pen and rule in hand. Laboring night and day on producing detailed plans or solutions for particular features. These numerous towers, along with the dome of St. Paul's, would eventually come to dominate the new skyline. But we should really think of Christopher N as a shrewd manager, a man of taste and imagination, with a knowledge and understanding of classical architecture and a feel for space, a mathematician skilled in geometry who instinctively knew what would work and what would not work, a man who could, when required, courageously move beyond the safe ground of merely replicating what had stood before and instead be experimental and exciting. London churches built in the wake of the Great Fire are distinctively different. One only has to look to St. Bartholomew the Great, an ancient city church to survive the fire, to realize the difference Wren made in the design of our places of worship. Living at 15 Walbrook and a parishioner of this church, we have to thank St. Stephen, we have to think St. Stephen Walbrook was of particular interest to Wren. It bears the supreme mark of his inventiveness and math mathematical genius. For a dome church, it is also superb acoustically, something that cannot be said for St. Paul's, where I have also had occasion to, speech, to speak. Sir Christopher Wren was a gentleman architect in the days when it was still possible to be a gifted amateur in the profession. To some minds, he was inspired by the divine. London and St. Stephen Walbrook in particular are the beneficiaries of his considerable brilliance.
and talent. Amen.